And so, the first full week of campaigning has been busy on the streets and online. We've had one televised leaders' debate. Expect more of that in the weeks ahead for Holyrood 2021. Major party leaders split and quarrel over Indiref 2. Commentators claim Anas Sawa wins the first leaders' debate. And as Parliament goes into recess, members reflect on the session. From Caledonia Media, I'm Charles Fletcher with Scotland's favourite political show, The Week in Holyrood. So laugh, false wigs, in the midst of your glee, you've not seen the last of my bonnets and me. Matinba, Fiskama. Former First Minister Alex Hammond has confirmed he's fielding candidates across Scotland for his new start, Alaba Party. Amid reports of division among the nationalist cause, First Minister Nicola Sturgeon says the SNP is not divided. She says she's leading a party with a growing membership just now and a commanding position in the opinion polls. This week, the leaders of Scotland's five largest parties came, met and quarrelled. They gathered for the first time in the election 2021 campaign to say why they deserve your vote. Nicola Sturgeon offers the steady hand of strong leadership. Douglas Ross talks a lot about independence and Indiref too. And as Sarwar scalped his lug and told him to grow up, Willie Rennie offered a steer to work together because we, the people, would prefer that. And for the Greens, co-leader Lorna Slater came over as progressive and practical. Commentators from across the board suggest Anas Sawa won the night, with Nicola Sturgeon a close second. The Daily Record's political editor was unimpressed by Douglas Ross, who he described as a one-trick pony. Let's garner a flavour of this from BBC Scotland in the first of the leaders' debates in the campaign. We begin with each of them telling us why we should give their party our vote. In order, you will hear now from Anas Sawa, Willie Rennie, Lorna Slater, Douglas Ross, then Nicola Sturgeon. This year has been the hardest of our lifetime. That's why this election must be about you, your family and our national recovery. Not egos, settling scores or going back to the old arguments. Scotland deserves better than that. Coming through COVID, we can choose something different. Alongside defeating the virus, I am determined to restart our economy and create jobs restore our children's education and look after their mental health and renew our NHS so that it never again has to choose between treating a virus or treating cancer. I will focus on what unites us as a country, not what divides us, so that together we can build a fairer and stronger Scotland. After the year that we've endured, I want to spend every second, every moment of the next five years of the Parliament focusing on putting the recovery first. That means cutting mental health weights. It means bounce-back support for pupils in school. It means creating jobs for people desperate for work. And it means taking action on the climate. This is not the moment for another referendum. We need to put the divisions behind us and bring the country together. I've got 15 years' experience in Parliament in London and in Edinburgh, 10 years leading my party. I've built bridges. I've got things done. I can deliver this. So if you want to put recovery first, 
vote for me and the Scottish Liberal Democrats. In this election, our future is at stake. The pandemic has highlighted that Scotland's economy is propped up by low wages, insecure work and a social security net that's full of holes. We must not go back to this broken system. Science tells us that we have less than 10 years before the climate breakdown goes past the point of no return. The time to act is now. The Scottish Greens have a plan for a fair and green recovery by investing in public transportation, renewable energy, warm homes and restoring our natural environment, we can create tens of thousands of jobs and tackle the climate crisis. The time to vote green is now. It's time to vote like our futures depend on it. Covid has affected us all. We're still battling through the health and the economic crisis and now we've got to focus on rebuilding Scotland and focus on delivering opportunities for the next generation. Like my wee boy Alistair, like your kids and your grandkids, your nieces and nephews. Now, while all the parties tonight are speaking about recovery, there's one big difference. The SNP want to take us through another divisive independence referendum and the Scottish Conservatives want to stop them. The future of our country is at stake. So if you want to stop that referendum again, if you want to protect jobs, restore schools and rebuild Scotland's economy, then vote Scottish Conservative. Well, these are serious times and they demand serious leadership. Over the past year, I've done my best every single day to lead us through this pandemic. In asking you to re-elect me and the SNP, I offer you this continued strong leadership to guide us through crisis. Covid is not over yet. We need an experienced hand at the wheel. Bold policies to drive our recovery like a national care service, a young person's guarantee, more affordable homes, action to tackle climate change and end child poverty. And when the crisis has passed, a choice on independence so that decisions about our future lie here in Scotland, not with Boris Johnson at Westminster. If you want to secure all of that, do not leave it to chance. Cast both your votes for the SNP on May the 6th. Now let's get into some more detail. There have been weeks, months of tension and in some cases abuse across social media and often in the chamber at Holyrood as well. Nicola Sturgeon says it must be called out whatever party is involved. For the Greens, Lorna Slater wants a more gender-balanced parliament. We need to have a parliament that really reflects the people of Scotland. We need to have gender balance in parliament. We need more women. When we have too many old, wealthy, white men making decisions, they make decisions in a certain way and we need to move on. More women involved in decision-making, more ethnic minorities, more disabled people, more trans people... We need a parliament that really looks like Scotland. And that's why I'm proud that I'm part of a candidate list that's 70% women that we've brought to the Scottish Parliament because we are committed to correcting that balance and make sure the parliament is truly representative. Thank you. And Nicola Sturgeon, I mean, there are a lot of your own supporters indulging abusing people who don't agree with them. Yeah, and I will call that out whenever it needs to be called out. I think it's really important we all recognise our responsibility for this and that we don't just call it out when it's another party doing it. And we try, you know, um, none of us are perfect on this, but the experience of the pandemic in the last year has changed my perspective on some of this, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. But let's rise to the occasion. Let's try to, given the legitimate differences between us, focus on what we can agree on and not use something like this 
as an opportunity to criticise and attack somebody who probably gets more abuse on social media than most of us. Uh, so, you know, let's all, not just in our rhetoric, but in how we behave, try to rise to the occasion of having civilised discourse. Okay. There's nothing wrong in a democracy with passionately disagreeing. That's the essence of democracy. But let's do it in a civilised and respectful okay. way. Last week, Lib Dem leader Willie Rennie told this programme, we have seen ugliness in Scottish politics and it must change. Conservative leader Douglas Ross clashed with Labour leader Anas Sarwar, who told him to grow up and stop behaving shamefully. Just today, I was doing an interview outside the Scottish Parliament and one person walked past saying they wanted to shoot me and another person wanted a socially distant selfie. And that's the nature of Scottish politics just now. We are so divided. And I just wonder why Scottish Labour can't understand the threat we're facing because every oh, single question on. from oh, our audience I mean, today you've just has gone back to education, our economy on health dear, service, dear, it all dear. goes back to the distraction of a referendum. So dear, the audience dear. get it. Why don't you? Can I say Let me respond to this because well, it's, it's an issue we're talking about prejudice in our society. But why is Douglas, it there? you know I don't support independence and you know I don't support a referendum but you are... Grow up. Every Have you not question. noticed we're in the midst of a pandemic? Have you not noticed that 10,000 of our fellow citizens Absolutely. have lost their life? Absolutely. Have you not noticed the Absolutely. scale of the challenge our country faces? And you come to the stage on an Absolutely. issue, a question of prejudice and hate, when we are trying Why to come together as one, Absolutely. you can't help bring in your own... Because every single, single audience Absolutely. questioned shameful. it. Every well single done. audience well questioned well it. Well That's the threat. Well Utterly shameful. And don't forget, I'll be interviewing the party leaders in the coming weeks. If you have a question to put to them, please send it by email to... Hollywoodleaders at gmail.com. That's Hollywoodleaders at gmail.com. Please do it today. Nominations have now closed for candidates in the Scottish election. And as we end this, the fifth session of Parliament, some familiar faces have gone. More than 30 MSPs are standing down, notably some from the original intake of 1999, including Joanne Lamond, Linda Fabiani and Ken McIntosh. Some are up for re-election. Conservative Murdo Fraser wants greater power of accountability in the next Parliament. My colleague Ramsey Beattie begins this clip. I've actually only been alive for one year longer than you've been in the Scottish Parliament. And, um, over... Now you're making me feel really old, <laughs> Now, over that time, what would you say you've most changed your mind off from starting in 2001 to running in this year? I suppose the whole question of, of the powers the Parliament has, I mean, I remember way back before you were born, you know, I was a campaigner against devolution. Uh, and I've changed my mind on that totally now. Um, in fact, I think devolution has been a good thing for Scotland. That's not to say, you know, everything's been great over the last 20 years. I think a lot of mistakes have been made. Um, but I think devolution has been good for Scotland. And then I, I championed the idea of more financial powers for the Scottish Parliament, because I thought it was right that a parliament that, that took decisions about how to spend money should also have the power to raise money as well. And we've seen... A lot of progress being made around the power of the parliament to raise taxation. So income tax, for example, is now almost entirely devolved to the Scottish parliament, along with a number of other taxes. But there are still issues we need to address uh, around the powers of the parliament. And we, we talked earlier about the power of the Scottish parliament to hold the Scottish government properly to account. 
And I think there's still work that needs to be done there. So, for example, members of the House of Commons have more rights of privilege that applies to members of the Scottish Parliament. I mean, we saw that very recently in relation to the Alex Salmon affair, where, you know, a member of the, the House of Commons, a, a Conservative MP called David Davis, was able to read out claims in the House of Commons about the Alex Salmon affair and be protected in doing so by parliamentary privilege. Whereas if I had done that as a member of the Scottish Parliament, I could have faced criminal charges by the Crown Office in Scotland. And to me, that's wrong. To me, you know, members of the Scottish Parliament should have the same rights and privileges to challenge the government as members of the House of Commons does. So I think there is more needs to be done to enhance the powers of the Scottish Parliament and to make sure that, you know, whoever, whichever party is, is in power after May, whoever wins the election, members of the Scottish Parliament from all different hues have the chance to properly question them and hold them to account. Deputy First Minister John Swinney says the priority remains recovery from COVID, but the recovery also means shaping Scotland's future and the people having the opportunity to make their choice. We want to make sure that the country focuses in the short term on recovering from the COVID emergency. That is the challenge that we face. And and obviously we have demonstrated during COVID the leadership to steer the country through these really difficult days. And we're determined to focus on that recovery to make sure that we do all that we can to get the country out of the COVID pandemic and the challenges that it faces to all sectors of society at the earliest possible opportunity. But we want that recovery also to be shaped by the choices that we make here in Scotland, which we are certain people want to be different from the choices that will be made by Boris Johnson and the UK Tory government. So the question of having an independence referendum is relevant to enable Scotland to be able to make those choices about how we build our country in the aftermath of COVID. So yes, in the next parliamentary term, providing we have sufficient support in the Scottish Parliament, and I think that would be best demonstrated by there being a majority SNP government, we want to bring forward a referendum on independence and give people in Scotland the choice over their constitutional future so they can take the decisions, the practical decisions that can enable us to support and design our recovery from COVID in a fashion that commands the support of people in Scotland. Uh, Mr Sodi, this past year has been quite a challenging year for people all over Scotland. And for yourself, you face two votes of no confidence. Why are you so certain that you're the person to be at the helm of Scotland in the next coming session? I think what Parliament has been affected by in the course of the last few years has been a pretty toxic adversarial culture. And I think a lot of issues get handled in that fashion. But Mr Swede, you've got quite a remarkable amount of experience working in Scottish politics. From the beginning to now, what would you say you've most changed your mind on politically? I think what, uh, I, I, what strikes me and has the biggest effect on me now, and I think it's probably been exacerbated by COVID, is the need for us to fundamentally tackle the issues of inequality in our society. And COVID has extenuated our, uh, the focus on inequality and the barriers that people face to be able to get on in life. Um, uh, and to overcome the barriers of inequality. So that, for me, is the issue that I think I would attach much greater significance to and to ensure that we address that and address it effectively through the measures that the SNP government has taken just now through the Scottish Child Payment, for example, or the expansion of free school meals that we're going to take forward in the next parliament if we're real 
elected to make sure that we take tangible steps to tackle inequality in our society. Now, of course, many of these issues are reserved to the United Kingdom government, which is another argument why Scotland needs to have the full control over all of the powers and responsibilities that any government would take for granted. And that will like the heart of our message in this election. Ramsey Beatty reporting John Swinney and Murdo Fraser. Now, Parliament may be in recess, but with the magic of radio and the help of the Holyrood Archive, we've returned to the Chamber for a session of portfolio questions. We begin with Ruth Maguire, SNP, Cunningham South. To ask the Scottish Government what action it will take to increase the number of affordable homes. How well do you know Miss Maguire, Mr Stewart? (laughs) Not that well, presiding officer. Um, as the Cabinet Secretary has mentioned, having already delivered uh, almost 100,000 affordable homes since 2007, uh, we want to deliver another 100,000 homes by 2032, uh, with 70% of those being for social rent. As our 20-year housing strategy, Housing to 2040, sets out, uh, this ambitious target will begin when the current 50,000 affordable homes target has been delivered and work to continue to do all of that safely is ongoing. Uh, To start on this this path, we're uh, investing uh, an initial £3.44 billion. Uh, Delivering these homes, of course, will be beneficial to Scotland's communities, uh, and it will also provide a significant economic boost, supporting a total investment package of around £16 billion and up to 14,000 jobs a year. Ruth Maguire. Enough, sir. I thank the Minister for that answer. Um, within the strategy, can I particularly welcome that the new housing standard applies to all tenures so that everyone is living in good quality accommodation, regardless of whether they own it or rent it from a private or social landlord. I've had a number of constituency cases where the local authority have delayed the repairs to damp properties, including to the homes of folk vulnerable due to their age or medical conditions citing the pandemic restrictions as the reason. After making representations to them, these have been resolved. However, I wonder if the Minister could confirm that such repairs are deemed essential and that all landlords have a responsibility to maintain their stock and nobody should be expected to stay in a damp property. Kevin Stewart. Um, President officer, sorry, President officer. Um, I uh, appreciate that dampness in folks' homes can be extremely distressing. Uh, any house uh, let by a social landlord must be substantially free from rising and p- penetrating damp. Uh, and if problems come to light, any repairs must be carried out as soon as is reasonably possible. Uh, repairs of this nature can be carried out under the coronavirus restrictions, uh, where the work is essential Uh, can be done safely and where owners uh, or tenants' permission uh, is granted. Um, The current regulations uh, set out the essential works for minimum standards of habitability, safety and maintenance, uh, for example, to prevent significant problems developing should uh, they should be carried out uh, in people's homes at this time. Uh, And of course, it's up to landlords in consultation with tenants Uh, to carry out a risk assessment to ensure that that work can be carried out safely. Question number eight, Gillian Martin. Thank you, President Officer. To ask the Scottish Government how many affordable homes it has delivered since 2007. Kevin Stewart. Uh, President Officer, Scotland has led the way 
in the delivery of affordable housing with almost 100,000 affordable homes delivered since 2007, including over 68,000 for social rent, over 15,000 of which were council homes. We want everyone in Scotland to live in a warm home that is affordable and meets their needs. Uh, and that is why housing and affordable housing in particular has been and remains a priority for this government. As a member knows, we're on track to deliver 50,000. We were on track to deliver 50,000 homes uh, within this parliament, uh, and we remain com uh, committed to completing that. Unfortunately, coronavirus got in the way uh, of the job. We're working with partners across the housing sector to deliver the remaining homes as quickly and as safely as possible. Gillian Martin. Thank the Minister for that answer. Housing provision in rural areas is critical in ensuring we stem rural depopulation and support communities to thrive, as the Minister knows. Can the Minister explain how the Scottish Government's housing strategy will specifically support rural communities like mine in Aberdeenshire East? Kevin Stewart. President Officer, uh, we make clear in Housing to 2040 our commitment to take action so that rural and island communities have access to high-quality, affordable uh, and market housing, which has been planned uh, alongside uh, the economic and physical, physical in infrastructure that is required uh, to help people live, work and thrive um, in these areas, uh, as well uh, as uh, work to help stem uh, rural depopulation. Uh, we have uh, committed to continuing the £30 million rural and islands uh, housing funds, uh, which support additional affordable rural and island homes uh, as part of the wider affordable housing programme. Uh, and in addition to that, uh, we uh, have announced new permitted development rights uh, to allow for the conversion of agricultural buildings uh, for residential and commercial uses. President Officer, uh, this might be the last opportunity uh, for me to speak. Can I wish you uh, a very happy retirement uh, and can I wish all of the best uh, to the Cabinet Secretary and her future endeavours, two cracking South Lanarkshire quines who I miss greatly. Thank you very, very much, Mr Stewart. Uh, now call question number seven, Alistair Allen. To ask the Scottish Government how much it has spent supporting communities affected by COVID-19 in the last year. Aileen Campbell. We have allocated more than £1 billion to support local communities through the coronavirus pandemic. This includes over £550 million through the community's funding package, including more than £140 million to tackle food insecurity, £51 million to, tackle, uh, and to continue the provision of free school meals during the school closures and holiday periods, and over £100 million for the third sector and community organisations. Our 2021-22 Scottish budget includes an additional £100 million to support households through pandemic uh, support payments, uh, meaning low-income families could receive up to £530 additional financial support between last December and the end of the year. Alistair Allen. I thank uh, the Minister for that response. Uh, the uh, Scottish Government dashboard indeed shows that £6.9 million of the funding that uh, she's mentioned in those areas uh, has been spent in my own local authority area. Can I ask, however, um, what the government will do to ensure that um, funding in this area develops um, in line with hopefully the positive developments we see uh, uh, as we come out of the final phases of uh, the COVID pandemic in the months ahead. Aileen Campbell. 
Uh, I thank the, the member for his question. We will always seek to ensure that we can learn all we can from the support that we have put in place to make sure that we can continue to support people during this pandemic and that our focus will be relentless on ensuring that that is the case and that is what drives uh, our recovery approach. COVID has exposed the inequalities of our society and therefore recovery should not be about returning back to normal when normality has failed too many. Instead, we should renew and reform our country to create a fairer, equal Scotland. And guided by the work of the Social Renewal Advisory Board and their calls to action, eh, my colleague Shirley-Anne Somerville and I have published our initial responses to that work, along with £25 million to take forward some of the recommended actions. So ensuring people in place are at the heart of recovery will be the job of the next government and, I, and the next parliament, I expect, and I know that Alistair Allen will ensure that that continues to be the case. President Officer, if I may as well, if that's my last opportunity to speak in the, the Chamber, I'd just like to say a few wee words which will be my final contribution to this Parliament, though I'm aware that I've had many final contributions <laughs> of late, with uh, Christine Graham last na night saying I had, had more comebacks than Frank Sinatra. But these are my final words, and it's with in, an enormous lump in my throat that I say all this, as the reality of not seeking re-election to serve the constituents of Clydesdale starts to hit home. Clydesdale of course, being the most beautiful constituency in Scotland. <laughs> when I intimated that I would not seek re-election, I said that a big part of that was about wanting to spend a bit more time with my boys, Angus and Crawford, who are grown up fast. They've never known their mum not to be a, a minister, and when I had my youngest son, I became the first Scottish minister to take maternity leave. But stepping back from frontline politics does not mean stepping back from my aspirations for this country and for our communities. And just as the country relied upon its communities to help respond to the pandemic and help with our resilience, so too will our recovery be dependent upon them, their creativity, their commitment and their ingenuity. Flourishing, vibrant communities that are empowered and trusted will be central to how we reform and renew our country with fairness and equality at its heart. And it has been my privilege to serve as communities and local government minister and to get a glimpse into the glorious diversity of our communities and all the rich vibrancy they bring. And it's also been a privilege to serve in all of the portfolios that I've held. But without this descending into an Oscar-style tribute, I do just want to say a few thanks to my ministerial colleagues and the amazing group of SNP MSPs I've worked and campaigned alongside. All the staff in this parliament, the posties, the canteen staff, the clerks, and everyone who keeps this place ticking over. My office staff in Kerluk, Charlie, Ewan and Jack, and my long-suffering private office and all the government officials and SPADs that provide so much support to ministers and have done so much during this challenging year. For now, I'm looking forward to new challenges ahead, including hitting the road with my colleagues to campaign for the restoration of powers to this parliament. Now, I know we don't all share that objective, but can I say to all the MSPs across this chamber and across the parliamentary divide who I've worked with, chewed the fat with, had some laughs along the way, and to everyone, thank you for being great colleagues. All the best to you, uh, presiding officer as well. Look forward to catching up with you in uh, South Lanarkshire sometime soon. Uh, but for me, that's all, folks. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Cabinet Secretary. And uh, that was a lovely way to conclude portfolio questions, I have to say. Doesn't time fly in? Five years ago, my colleague Simon Olivier Gagnon and I covered the 2016 election campaign and reported the results. Here's how that day unfolded. It's Friday the 6th of May. I'm Charles Fletcher with 60 Seconds Scotland. The SNP is on track to return to government at Holyrood as Nicola Sturgeon secures her own mandate. I pledge that over these next five years, I will govern 
in the interests of everyone in Scotland, of every person in Scotland and every community, the length and breadth of our country. The SNP has swept Labour out of Glasgow as the Conservatives make seismic gains from Aberdeenshire to Dumfrieshire. To have the sort of level of challenge and scrutiny and debate in the Scottish Parliament that we've not seen in the last nine years, and I think that that's a job that we can do. Ruth Davidson took Edinburgh Central, Willie Rennie gained North East Fife. Labour has collapsed across Scotland and the Tories are second to the SNP. And Charles Fletcher with 62nd Scotland from Caledonia Media. More later. It's Friday the 6th of May. I'm Simon-Olivier Gagnon with 62nd Scotland at lunchtime. The Scottish Conservatives have secured a seismic shift in Holyrood election. Ruth Davidson now adds up the second biggest party at Holyrood with 31 seats. It will be a, a different type of challenge that they'll face in the Scottish Parliament if I'm sort of standing toe-to-toe with Nicola Sturgeon. This afternoon, she has her first event as leader of the opposition. Nicola Sturgeon has secured 63 seats for the SNP, but that's too short for a majority. The SNP has won a third consecutive Scottish Parliament election. That has never been done before in the history of the Scottish Parliament. The SNP has knocked Labour out of Glasgow constituencies. Former leader John Lamont takes a realistic view. People are not seeing us as the people they want to put faith in. I don't blame the electorate for that. It's not a question of giving them a row. It just tells us the scale of the challenge we have ahead of us. The Greens have six seats, the Lib Dems have four. I'm Simon-Olivier Gagnon with 60 Seconds Scotland from Caledonia Media. More at Drive Time. It's Friday the 6th of May. I'm Charles Fletcher with 60 Seconds Scotland at Drive Time. The SNP has secured a third successive term in office as Labour melts down and the Tories jump to second place on 31 seats. Nicola Sturgeon has 63 seats. That's too short of an overall majority. With great humility, thank the people of Scotland for placing their trust in me and in the SNP. Ruth Davidson says she has reason to be the official opposition leader. And that's to be able to give the sort of challenge and scrutiny to the SNP that I just don't think they faced in the last nine years. Labour have 24 seats. Kezia Dugdale says she's heartbroken. It's been a, a very bad night for the Scottish Labour Party um, but what it looks like to me is that um, Scotland is very much still living in that referendum dominated, constitutional dominated politics. The Greens have six seats, the Lib Dems have four, UKIP have none. I'm Charles Fletcher with 60 Seconds Scotland from Caledonia Media. Bye for now. Scotland votes in the most important election since devolution on the 6th of May. How you vote can shape the nation and your question to the leaders can inspire. I'm Charles Fletcher. Email your question to holyroodleaders at gmail.com. The Week in Holyrood, bringing the Scottish election home. You're listening to The Week in Holyrood. I'm Charles Fletcher. Coming up in this half hour, thank you and so long as Parliament goes into recess. So, to that closing session at Holyrood. It's an opportunity for the leaders and the presiding officer to say well done and thank you. Here's First Minister Nicola Sturgeon. Um, I want to begin today by acknowledging uh, and doing so with great appreciation the work of all MSPs across this session. 
And I think particularly over the past 12 months, uh, amidst the stresses of the last year, MSPs have served constituents, scrutinised government decisions and passed legislation that will benefit Scotland for the future. And all of that and more has been done in circumstances that none of us could have imagined five years ago. Indeed, none of us could have imagined even just one year ago. My thanks go to everyone. I want to pay particular tribute, though, to the 34 MSPs from right across this chamber who are standing down at the election. Amongst them are former party leaders, cabinet secretaries, committee conveners and ministers. Uh, four of them, Jean Freeman, Mike Russell, Rosanna Cunningham and Aileen Campbell, are members of the current cabinet. On a personal level, I want to thank each and every one of them for their service. Rosanna Cunningham, who has just made a wonderful valedictory speech, is one of my oldest and dearest friends, as is uh, Mike Russell. Uh, just as they met me when I was very young, I first met Aileen Campbell when she was very young. And let me say, I really do hope we see Aileen Campbell back in frontline politics in the future. She is a rare talent. Um, Hannah has got a great contribution still to make. And Jean Freeman, well, Jean Freeman and I have spent more time in each other's company over the past year than either of us have done with our own partners. Um, she has been an outstanding health secretary, but to me over the last year, she has been an absolute rock. I couldn't have got through it without you. Uh, my grateful, heartfelt thanks to you. Uh, each of the 34 MSPs, though, has served their constituents and this parliament with distinction. And I really do sincerely and genuinely wish each and every one of you all of the very best for the future. Uh, our presiding officer, of course, is one of uh, the MSPs standing down and one of the 13 MSPs standing down who was elected to the first parliament in 1999. Uh, we are indeed beginning to feel like an endangered species. Uh, over the past five years as presiding officer, Ken has led parliament through quite exceptional circumstances from the Brexit referendum to uh, the trials and tribulations of COVID, but his willingness to innovate and respond to changing needs has served all of us well. Remote sittings and voting were necessitated by circumstances we would never have envisaged five years ago, but they may, I hope, have an enduring value. I'm conscious that three members leaving this place are doing so because they found that Parliament had a detrimental impact on family and personal life. I hope that the innovations that have resulted from COVID can be used to make sure that no MSP in the future feels that they have to make that choice. And if so, that would be a fine legacy for our presiding officer. Ken, thank you for your service and all of us wish you well. Now, I know that Ken would want me to point out that he has been ably assisted at all times by our Parliament's staff and indeed by his deputy presiding officers. And I want to add my personal thanks to our Parliament staff. This has been a difficult period because of COVID, obviously, but also because of some other difficult issues that I wish they hadn't had to deal with over the past uh, number of months. Uh, our Parliament staff have done a superb job, all of them, uh, clerking teams, broadcasting, the official report, security, catering staff, uh, our posties. I've just been told Jimmy the Postman is retiring uh, in a week's time, and let's thank him uh, for all of his service too. But to... To each and every one of you, you keep us going and you have kept us safe and we are deeply grateful uh, to you. Uh, I, as I'm sure we all do, want to put on record my thanks to my constituency office staff and personally and on behalf of government colleagues, I, I want to place on record my thanks to the civil service and to uh, my private office in particular who are a source of uh, never-ending support. 
You know, the last year has shown that this chamber is the place people look to in times of crisis. It's the place that people expect to respond to their needs, hopes and dreams. In the past five years, in immensely difficult circumstances, MSPs from all parties have risen to the challenges. Uh, this has been one of the busiest sessions since 1999, and I know I'm running out of time, but as well as dealing with COVID and Brexit, this Parliament has passed our first ever Social Security Bill, incorporated the UN uh, Convention on the Rights of the Child, established a Scottish National Investment Bank and passed climate legislation, uh, which will see us become a net zero nation. Uh, I don't think that is a bad legacy at all for this session of Parliament. When the new Parliament reconvenes in May, it will be renewed by fresh faces, fresh thinking and new attitudes. I think we should all listen to Rosanna Cunningham's words of wisdom about the value of forging friendships across party boundaries. Uh, but the new Parliament will be able to build on this Parliament's legacy. For those MSPs who return, I hope that's a spur to further progress. But for the 34 MSPs who are standing down, it should be an enduring sense of pride. This Parliament is grateful to all of them for their service and uh, I want to convey my deep thanks and appreciation to each and every one of them. And with those words, Presiding Officer uh, and Deputy Presiding Officer, it is with great pleasure that I move uh, today's motion in my name. The Conservatives Holyrood Group Leader, Ruth Davidson, gave her thanks as she spoke for the last time in the Chamber. While I'm not a class of 99er like the presiding officer or the first minister, I have been here for over a decade, first as staff and then as an elected member for both Glasgow and for Edinburgh Central. Most of that time I was leading my party and one of the many misunderstandings about being an opposition leader is that you actually have much to do with a presiding officer. Aside from small talk at ceremonies and lineups and receptions, there's maybe only half a dozen sit-down meetings a year and that's it. So it wasn't until after I stepped down from the leadership and was elected onto the corporate body that I actually really saw the full responsibility of the office and the immense work that you, Ken, and the top team do. And what an extraordinary time to be involved when COVID hit and the first lockdown was announced to watch you and David and Michelle and the team transition Holyrood from a campus where up to 1,800 people could be present on the average sitting day of the average year to a legislature that could still function with barely 100 on site and how flappable you were and how with your even-handed nature you were absolutely insistent that those who were needed in here would be protected and those who required to work from home or be furloughed would be supported. From clerks to civil servants to IT to cleaners to mailroom staff to security, plus the catering, facilities management, reception, the guides, the creche, everybody, whether they were staff or contractors or subcontractors, they would be supported both practically and financially and the Parliament would use its might to ensure that other companies that held contracts here would behave ethically too. We would see our people right, just as they see us right every day. And I was proud of us as an employer, and that stemmed from your leadership. I was slightly perturbed, however, when you confided with the SBCB on a Teams call that despite all six of your children returning home for lockdown, you were welcoming a new arrival. And I was delighted when you brought your new puppy onto the call as well. Presiding officer, in the last 10 years, I have often pushed my luck when it comes to speaking time, and I'm going to beg your indulgence today, because this is also my last speech to Parliament. I don't know if it's ever been mentioned that I'm not standing at this election. Um, there are many thanks that I have to bring forward. Um, my office staff down the years, Laurie, Andrea, Nick, Dan, Ben, Ed and Elaine, the close team that supported me as leader, Eddie, Adam, Marek and Kevin, Mark McInnes and his team at Central Office, and of course my colleagues in Parliament. As the only new Tory elected in 2011 and catapulted to the leadership within six months, I will always be grateful to that 2011 group for all that they taught me. 
And after that great night when we doubled our number, the team that came in here in 2016 will always be my team. From both, we are losing good servants from this Parliament, Margaret Mitchell, Adam Tompkins, Alison Harries, Peter Chapman, Tom Mason, Bill Bowman. And of course, we lost the last of our class of 99. Earlier this term with the passing of Alex Johnson, a big broth of a man with a personality to match. But I'd also like to thank those from other parties who've extended the hand of friendship down the years. The incorrigible gossip of Alex Neil, the lycra dash of Willie Rennie as he passed the office when we shared a floor, and the affectionate chastisement of Joanne Lamont, my Labour auntie, who calmed my wilder outbursts during the referendum period in Better Together. Also, Jenny Mara, who came in in the same intake as me, where our occasional catch-ups down the years uh, migrated from wine and Chinese to a lovely playdate between Adam, Sydney and Finn last summer between lockdowns. She'll be a mystery to this Parliament, which, given her loss and the loss of others, such as Gail Ross and Ailey Campbell, likes to talk the talk on being family-friendly, but perhaps needs to rethink how it chooses to walk the walk. For my own part, I will miss this place. When I announced in August 2019 that I was standing down as leader and wouldn't seek re-election, I always knew leaving would be a wrench. It is so consuming. It's not just the sitting days, but everything else that goes along with it that is so absorbing, but which also makes it hard to carve out proper time for the ones you love. I don't know how you manage with six kids, presiding officer, as I am run ragged by one. But I am looking forward to a change of working practice. One where, when I'm away for a few days a week, it will be hard to be away away. But when I'm home, to be properly present with Jen and Finn, well, that is going to mean worlds. So thank you, Ken, for all you've done as presiding officer. My warmest regards to all the returners and my very best wishes to all 33 other members who are standing down. Labour leader Anas Sarwar, who commentators say won the first leaders' debate on the BBC this week, also won the chamber. Thank you, Deputy Presiding Officer. And can I support the motion in the First Minister's name and echo her comments about uh, yourself? Uh, Linda Fabiani uh, is a fierce but kind politician who I've had the pleasure of spending the last five years uh, with. Uh, lots of nice gossips and chats uh, along the way. Uh, I want to also pay tribute to all those MSPs from across the chamber who are entering either new challenges or going on to, I hope, a happy and peaceful retirement. Uh, for my part, I want to say a particular thank you to my own colleagues, uh, Ian Gray, Joanne Lamont, Elaine Smith, Lewis MacDonald, Jenny Mara, Dave Stewart, Mary Fee and Neil Finlay, who are stepping down from our benches. Each and every one of them has made an enormous contribution to this Parliament and to public life. They have represented the very best of our party and, more importantly, the best of our country. Um, four of our retirees are from the 99 intake, five if you include the presiding officer himself. Uh, and while I'm sure they won't thank me for saying it, it is a testament to the length of service representing the Scottish people that you all entered the Parliament before I was even old enough to vote. Um, there are, of course, members retiring across... Uh, sorry, First Minister, that includes yourself uh, as well. I can, see, I can see the glare I'm getting from the First Minister there. Um, I imagine I'll get a few more over the coming weeks. Uh, there are, of course, members retiring from across different parties, uh, and too many to mention individually, but each and every single one of them with their own achievements. But I want to recognise two parliamentarians uh, in other political parties. First of all, uh, Ruth Davison, who is uh, having her last day in this chamber today. Um, I can genuinely say that I like her as a human being and as a friend, uh, someone who is good company uh, and someone who is undoubtedly a conviction politician who has been a key personality and figure in Scottish public life for the last decade. She will be a great loss to this chamber and her successor has a very, very hard act to follow. Uh, and the other one... 
And the other one is um, our Health Secretary, uh, Jean Freeman. Uh, spending your last year in Parliament as the Health Secretary during a pandemic can hardly be described as easing yourself into retirement. Uh, I know I have been challenging at times uh, with the Cabinet Secretary, particularly around all things around the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital, but I, can, I can't thank her enough for the openness and the kindness she has shown throughout. Um, and so I do pay tribute to her and thank her for that. And I know all the families thank her for that also. Finally, Presiding Officer, I wish to pay tribute to you. You have presided over the most turbulent period in our Parliament's relatively short history. You and your team have kept our Parliament running amidst the largest national crisis since the Second World War. And for that, you and your team deserve a huge, huge amount of credit. You generally are one of the nicest people in politics. There are still nice people in politics, and you prove that. You have been unflappable and kind as we change to our new environment around COVID. I can only imagine how you keep your cool as a number of our colleagues have struggled to either log in or to vote through the period, being unflappable throughout and understanding and patient as we learn our new environment. And you've also been a reforming presiding officer, opening up our parliament, opening up for opportunities for people from the backbenches and opposition and offering greater scrutiny as a result. But more importantly, on a personal note, it has been a pleasure. You are someone I am proud to call a friend as well as a colleague. And Jackie Bailey was informing me at First Minister's question today that you share a birthday with her. And surprisingly, she tells me that you're actually older than her, which, 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 I'm, which is going to get me in trouble myself. But also, you have tenaciously represented the good people of Eastwood and the West of Scotland, and I'm sure all of them would want to thank you for all your efforts over the years. And as a father of six children, it's hard to imagine you'll have a quiet retirement. But can I say, for the sake of your wife, I hope you finally have a Netflix account. And in closing, can I thank you and all the parliamentary staff for all the immense work they have done over this five-year period. To the chief executive, to all the staff uh, from top to bottom, thank you so much uh, for everything. And we hope to return after the 6th of May and say thank you again. Thank you. Lib Dem leader Willie Rennie giggled and shook his head as he followed on. Uh, and I call Willie Rennie for, for around three minutes, please. <laughs> the most unfortunate juxtaposition. Um, um, I have to say, I've found the most rewarding moments of this Parliament when we have put aside the usual tensions and knuckled down to make life better. And I think the pandemic over the last year has forced us to do exactly that. And I have found, working with various ministers and other members of this Parliament, particularly rewarding, being able to fix problems that are all new to us um, for the betterment of our constituents and the country. Uh, I want to praise the enormous efforts of the parliamentary staff, especially the cleaners and the security staff, but also wish to commend the patience of particularly the, the IT staff and putting up with our endless grumbles about various bits of the voting system. But the chief executive uh, and all his support staff for opening and closing this Parliament at a moment's notice, including disrupting their Christmas and their New Year. I think they deserve a particular appreciation eh, for what they've put up with over the last year. Eh, to you, President Officer, your genial 
generous style has been, I think, extraordinary in the last year. You have been unflappable. And I think despite the pressure that you've been under, I think you've done the job proud and I think you've done yourself proud as well. To my constituency staff in the parliamentary pool, um, they have been exceptional. Uh, to be honest, I don't know how they put up with me. Um, I too want to mention uh, Alex Johnson, who, when I first entered this parliament, he was just along the corridor from me. And I still miss his thunderous laughter banging the table with Jim in hoots and howls for hours on end. He was just such a joy to be around and was my one-man cheerleader in the last parliamentary term. So I will always miss uh, Alex. Um, to my colleague, uh, Mike Rumbles, um, there are many occasions, in fact, many, many occasions, where we have uh, disagreed and voted in different ways. But I have to say, through all of that time, Despite my blood pressure on occasions, his challenge has been invaluable. Because often, I know we don't want to admit it, but often Mike Rumbles is right. Um, <laughs> I'm just pleased that on the very last day we managed to vote together in exactly the same way. Um, to those retiring, I am sure there is a bit in all of us that is a little bit jealous and are attracted by the potential time that is going to open up in your life, hours that you did not know existed in the day. Uh, and to those wishing to return, I do wish you well in the campaign trail. I wish you have fun and a rewarding time because, in that election campaign, because democracy can be a very beautiful thing. And so we turn to the presiding officer, Ken McIntosh. He's part of the class of 1999, that pioneering group of members in Scotland's first modern-day parliament. Ken is standing down after serving as a constituency Labour MP and in this parliament for the last five years as a regional member and presiding officer. Every presiding officer has a legacy. Ken's must surely be the transformation of Holyrood into a hybrid parliament that beat the challenge of COVID and accomplished the continuation of this place to make laws and serve the nation. It has been some weeks, so before I go any further, can I just say to you, rest easy. I am not going to use my remarks to settle old scores, real or imaginary. Uh, I, despite encouragement, I may say so from some mischievous colleagues amongst us, um, I'm here simply to thank you. In fact, I've got so many people to thank that I'm a bit of a quandary as to how to go about it. Uh, those of us stepping down from Parliament today, and I'm so grateful to the party leaders for naming them all because there are literally too many uh, for me to list, uh, those stepping down will be full of emotion, as I am today. But for those of you who want me to go full Gwyneth Paltrow at the Oscars, can I just say that I am far too buttoned up uh, to do that. But what has struck me over the last few weeks uh, was how many powerful and moving uh, valedictory speeches there have been from colleagues uh, who are also leaving at this election just uh, this afternoon from Zana Cunningham, from Aileen Campbell and more. So I thought I would ask fellow members for your suggestions as to who and what to thank today. And I want to begin by thanking you all for being such good-looking and handsome colleagues. <laughs> good-looking and handsome, yes, it's definitely true. It may not be the first quality or attribute I would have singled out, but can I, can I thank Alex Cole-Hamilton for that selfless suggestion? 
Alongside, a little bit pointed, is it? <laughs> Alongside our public servants, I've also been asked to thank the, the marvellous men and women of the 2nd Platoon Black Watch, 3rd Battalion of the Royal Regiment of Scotland. And that suggestion from Maurice Corrie, of course. <laughs> Mike Rumbles, Alec Neal and Oliver Mundell asked me to pass on their thanks to the party whips. <laughs> I think the thanks was in inverted commas. And two final rather election-focused requests. One from James Kelly asking if it is too late for me to shout at him and have him thrown out of the chamber. <laughs> and another from Anasawar saying, things are worse than I thought. Could you use your powers and delay the election by a month or two? <laughs> well, can I... <laughs> uh, can I thank you for your indulgence, colleagues? After the past few days, I wasn't sure that we'd be on speaking terms, let alone able to laugh with each other. And I really am grateful to you all. When we all stood here in the well of this chamber some five years ago with our hands raised to swear a, an oath of office, looking forward with excitement and anticipation to what may lay ahead, little did we know that in a matter of weeks the Brexit referendum would change the political landscape and dominate our agenda for the next four years, itself only to be overtaken by the global pandemic that has devastated our economy, bringing grief and misery to many, many tens of thousands of fellow Scots. And it's only natural in these circumstances to feel frustrated, thwarted even. But I want to thank you for what you've achieved despite as well as because of the circumstances. I want to thank you for the families that you have helped, the children with additional support that each of you here will have fought for, the care for those with dementia that you will all have witnessed at first hand. I often feel that the greatest privilege an MSP have is being invited into people's lives, being asked to share in someone's difficulties to know the upset and unfairness that they are wrestling with. To be asked for our help, even if we can't solve their problems, is reward in itself. Not that the voters will necessarily tell you that over the next few weeks. You're more likely to be cynically portrayed as in it for yourselves. But I know how hard you work, how committed you are to your constituents. I thought Bruce Crawford had it right when he said it was all about service. Now, Bruce, who served this Parliament with distinction in nearly every capacity, who actually I often think of as the best presiding officer we never had. But yes, here in Parliament, politics can be a robust business, confrontational even. But even in the midst of our difficulties over recent weeks, colleagues have come together around the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child, the Redress Bill, domestic abuse. And I think it's worth remembering that most of what we do achieve, we achieve by working together. I don't just mean across party lines. I mean, for example, the teamwork that is there at the heart of a constituency office. There is so much more to do, and there will be more frustration, but I have no doubt whatsoever that Scotland is undoubtedly a more diverse, a more tolerant, and a more self-confident country because of this Parliament and because of the work that everyone here does. When I bang my gavel shortly... It will be not just to end the session and to say thank you to all of those who are stepping down. It will mark the start of an election campaign and to wish good luck to all of you who are standing again. And I will be here on the 13th of May to welcome you back alongside perhaps 40 or 50 new faces, refreshed, reinvigorated, ready to work together for the benefit of our country. And for that, most of all, I want to thank you all. I close this session of Parliament.
Now, if you're looking for some fresh reading, look out for Breakup, How Alex Hammond and Nicola Sturgeon Went to War. It's being written by my excellent colleagues, David Clegg, the editor at The Courier, and Kieran Andrews, political editor at The Times. I'm told it will be a jaw-dropping read. Time now for me to get back out on the campaign trail, but I'll remember to stay local. I'm Charles Fletcher. Join me next time for the Week in Holyrood 2022-23.